Uh, this, this morning is going to look a little bit different. I'm going to invite the St. Louis mission trip team to come on up. And they, they'll probably be coming in from the sides as many of them will be heading, when they leave, heading upstairs to the block for um, their life group. But this morning is going to look a little bit different. And we're going to be opening up the Word together in just a few minutes. But first you're going to hear a little bit about what God did in and through uh, some of our high school students here at Calvary Bible Church. In June, we sent out 22 uh, students and five adults to go to St. Louis, Missouri with an organization called SCORE International Ministries. Our group served alongside several churches, uh, helped lead an outreach soccer camp, and faithfully share the gospel uh, wherever, they, wherever they went. Uh, John O'Keefe, Gwen Sarine, and Chase Teague are going to share more specifically about what God did in and through our team that week in just a few moments. Uh, just a few weeks ago, though, another group of 15 went to Nogales, Mexico. And uh, that was a last-minute change from our original plans to go to Panama. In fact, when we were commissioned in June, now uh, we were still under the impression, still planning for Panama, but the Panama door closed for us on July 1st, just a month ago today, and God sovereignly opened up a door for us to serve four miles across the border in Nogales. And we did that from July 16th to the 23rd, and so we've only really been back for... Uh, a week or so. And we had a chance to minister to individuals who had been deported, as well as lead an outreach event to the community. And uh, unfortunately, due to some health reasons, we found ourselves heading back to the States much earlier than we had planned. We were only there for a few days, and, and we left Mexico. We didn't, uh, we didn't know where we would sleep or what ministry opportunities we, uh, we would be, what would be in store for us in the days to come. And, um, and God had a plan that was far better than ours, and uh, that was not a, it was a low bar because we didn't have a plan but, um, to, to be better than, but, but God's plan was good, and he worked, uh, and you're going to hear a little bit about that in, in a few moments. But I, I believe um, this, was, this was the most stretching, uh, the Mexico trip, it was the most stretching trip for me as a, as a team leader. Um, it was hard, and, uh, but I got to see God, uh, God's sovereignty uh, at work and on display more clearly than any other point uh, in my life. And uh, Chase Teague went on both trips, so he's going to actually share a little bit about this trip as well, and along with our global partner, Marty Buffenbarger and Kate Giles, and they're going to come up in a minute. But uh, we made these recap videos, uh, and uh, they're going to play silently in the background as they play, and um, hopefully they'll give you some context as the students share. Um, but without further ado, I want to hand this over to John O'Keefe. Hi, my name is John O'Keefe, and I'm a junior in high school. This past June, I got the opportunity to serve in St. Louis, Missouri with a team from Calvary's High School. This was my very first mission trip that I've been on, so I had mixed emotions. I was really excited, but also a bit nervous to serve and minister in a new environment. So today I'm going to share with you one important lesson that God showed me during our time in St. Louis. The lesson that I learned had to do with fear. I realized the day we got to St. Louis that I was afraid of the unknown. I mean, for the most part, we had a general idea of what we'd be doing, but there were still a few things that were up in the air. For instance, we knew that part of the week we'd be um, helping lead a soccer camp, but we didn't really know what that completely entailed. We didn't know if we'd be working directly in a soccer camp or helping set up the soccer camp. Just a lot of little details. So I was nervous, and I remember just being afraid and fearful of the upcoming week. But Sunday night, our first night in St. Louis, I got together with a couple guys on our team, and we read through the whole book of 2 Timothy. 
Now, 2 Timothy was the book of the Bible Justin decided to lead the St. Louis team through so that as, um, as we served that week that we could read it and talk about it um, amongst ourselves. So, um, as I read it that night, one particular verse caught my eye. And that verse was 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This verse really helped me to see that God has not called us as Christians to live in fear. It encouraged me so much throughout the whole week to be bold and fearless, knowing that I was filled with power, love, and self-control, not through what I did, but through God's works. It gave me courage in knowing that I could be fearless because God knows the future, and he has everything planned just a way that it was meant to be. Ultimately, I'm so glad I was able to go on this trip because I not only got to know and hang out with new people, I also conquered my fears and grew closer to God in the process. Thank you. Hi, my name is Gwen Sarin, and I went on the St. Louis mission trip this past June. It was an amazing experience, and I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to go on it. We did several service projects throughout the week, but um, one project in particular kind of stood out to me. Uh, we, along with another youth group from Florida, ran a three-day-long soccer camp for a few hours in the evening. Um, we went through skills like dribbling and passing and shooting, and um, at every station um, when we were finished, we would sit the kids down and uh, share the gospel with them. And around 170 kids were in attendance, and uh, I was one of the head coaches. And um, for those of you that know me, you know that working with kids is not one of my greatest passions. So when I learned that I would be leading 170 kids for three hours a day, um, I was not overly thrilled. Uh, I remember at the first day during um, our nightly recap seeing that I just felt so drained from the camp, which is not a great way to feel on your first day. Um, and so at the beginning of the trip, we were given a Bible study packet for the week. Um, and there is a section where you wrote down something that you wanted to do differently uh, that day. And uh, that day I wrote and I prayed that God would help me to be excited and joyful for the camp instead of just trying to get through it as best I could. Um, the next two days of the camp proved to be some of the most fun and fulfilling times of the whole trip for me, and I made the best memories there, and um, where I, along with my friends, were able to present the gospel message to the kids, and we were able to form strong relationships with them. And uh, after the third day, a lot of us were expressing feelings of sadness that uh, the camp was over and that we were never going to see the kids again. And um, one of our leaders, Holly Swice, uh, she pointed out how in only a short nine hours of intentional relationship building, we were able to form lasting connections with kids who were strangers before, um, strong enough connections that we would miss them in just a few short days. And uh, through these connections that were made, several of the kids came to Christ during the few days of camp, um, and which was one of the greatest blessings also to see my friends and my youth group kind of step up and uh, be able to change these kids' lives. And um, we as a team had prayed for these relationships to form so that we would be able to effectively share the gospel um, and that the kids would accept Christ. And uh, Matthew 7, 7 comes to mind when I think of this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. 
Uh, through God's faithfulness, he turned a challenging situation for myself into something incredible that gave him glory. All right, thank you, Gwen. I'm actually going to uh, dismiss the St. Louis team, except for those who um, went to uh, Mexico as well. And I'm going to invite the Mexico team to come on up. I know, again, several of them are kind of coming in from the outside because they're coming from our life group. But I'm going to hand this over to Chase as they're, they're coming up. Hi, my name is Chase Teague, and I was blessed to be able to go on both the St. Louis trip and the Mexico trip. The St. Louis trip went from June 13th to the 19th, and, Mex and the Mexico trip went from July 16th to the 24th. The reason why I am saying the dates of both trips is because as I have gone through the year-round John MacArthur Bible study, the day that I started reading the book of Acts in the MacArthur study was June 15th, right in the middle of the St. Louis trip. And the study of Acts has lasted all the way through the Mexico trip and ended on July 29th. And as most of you probably know, the book of Acts tells the story of the brave men and women who served the Lord and spread the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit along with the challenges they faced. For guys like Paul, Barnabas, Silas, and Peter, serving the Lord was life-endangering. They raced from place to place to spread the good news, often just one step ahead of those who wanted to kill them. They lived under the constant threat of being arrested and executed. In chapter 27, they endured a shipwreck while setting sail for Italy. In chapter 28, Paul was bitten by a snake. Paul was also brutally beaten by soldiers in chapter 21, and in chapter 16, Paul and Silas encountered an earthquake while in prison. But they didn't let that stop them. Their attitude was, as long as we're alive, we're going to talk to people about Jesus no matter what. And obviously, we didn't face any shipwrecks, snake bites, vicious beatings, or earthquakes, but we did experience a lot, whether it was the scorching heat on both trips, certain health concerns, poverty, less than ideal bedrooms and bathrooms, connecting with the children at the soccer camp, and communication and translation difficulties. The point is, we endured a lot on both trips. And I'm just going to get this out of the way. I complain a lot. <laughs> my parents and my twin sister, Sydney, uh, who also went on the Mexico trip, can testify that I complain nonstop. I, I complain so much that when my mom asks me to do a chore, I spend more time complaining about the chore than what it actually takes to complete it. So as you can probably tell, trying not to complain was a huge challenge on both trips. But what, what, but what kept me strong were my teammates. Not one teammate complained on both trips. And if there was, it was because they weren't serving the Lord as much as they wanted to. I am so blessed and thankful to have the teammates that I, that I had and the leaders who loved serving the Lord, even with the hardships that we had, and would jump at the opportunity to share the gospel with a stranger. My teammates' love for the Lord and their willingness to serve and serve well reminded me of a simple but life-changing statement that I learned all the way back in Kids Praise. It's not about me. It's all about you, Lord. And wow, God still reminded me that that statement is still relevant years later. Thank you. You get old, you got to use these. Well, good morning. My name is Marty Buffenbarger. My wife, Carolyn, we are global partners with uh, Calvary. And when this trip was planned for Panama, thus I'm sporting the Panama shirt, um, I didn't take time to put the big circle around it with the line through it, but that's what happened to the trip, obviously. Um, Justin contacted us, not sure why. Um, I think maybe because we both speak enough Spanish to get, it, get him in trouble. Um, but God had other ideas. So last week, before and after services, I had people say, well, how was the trip? 
And, you know, our normal response on lots of things are good. But good to describe this trip was really way too generic. And then it was asked, well, was it what you expected? No, absolutely not. Exciting? Yeah. Stretching? Yes. Incredible? Yes. For those of you in the congregation that know me, that stretching, I probably ought to look like an incredible right now because this was the most stretching probably thing I've done in my life. I have two uh, definitions to give you. Coincidence, a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent casual connection. The second is sovereignty, supreme power or authority. I have a question to ask you. How many here can say that they have visited an area where the houses are built on top of a mountain that is used as a garbage dump? They're constructed of brick, tin, cardboard, or any material that can provide any type of shelter, and not necessarily with roofs on them or roofs that would hold out any form of liquid that would come in. We would most of the time call those shacks, but those were the housing that was in the area. We then moved within hours, and here's the question, how many of you have moved within hours from an area where it was so depressed to an area that had million and a half dollar houses, two million dollar houses, probably there were five million dollar houses in an area where everything is manicured and there isn't a place out of, out, anything out of place. As many of you know, this mission trip was scheduled to take a group of 12 students, two children and five adults to Panama to work with indigenous people. But God is sovereign. Two weeks from takeoff, the trip was changed in Nogales, Mexico, to work with, at the Dream Center with men, women, and children who have been deported from the United States of America for various reasons. This change created some ministry planning, preparation, and most of all, losing four students from our team. But God is sovereign. Within minutes of entering Nogales, Mexico, we were met with the realization of what po poverty really looks like very up close and very personal. As we drove through the garbage-strewn streets and countryside full of these shack housing, the vans became very quiet. Some of the first words spoken when we got out of the vans at the Dream Center and we were parched on top of that, or perched on top of that mountain full of garbage were the disbelief of the living conditions that surrounded us. The Dream Center is divided into two sections. There's a women's and children's section, which sits on top of the mountain, and a little bit down the hill is the men's section. And that's how we were divided out as a team. And it didn't take long for them to divide. It wasn't like we were together for hours. It was within minutes we each went to our given places. We met with the leadership of the Dream Center, and a plan was put in place for how we would help them. However, plans are not always as they're put on paper. And we had to improvise and, in, and really embed ourselves with their staff so that ministry took place. And as we looked around and we did things of service, we got to help come alongside their staff. We were part of an afternoon VBS. And then as you saw in the pictures, 
the great dirt parking lot soccer game. And I'm kind of upset with Justin because he only shows the picture of our guys getting scored on. Our guys did really good. They really did. I was really proud of them. Well, while we were there, we met two new friends from Arizona. One guy's name is Randy and one guy's name is Scott. Well, Randy had been invited by our score representative for quite some time to come down and see that ministry, but he always kept delaying it until our team was there, and all of a sudden he had two free days, and he came down and joined us. God is sovereign. Well, on day three, illness hit the team, and by the morning of day four, the Dream Center kicked us out of Mexico, literally. Randy and Scott went into action at this time, and they invited us to Phoenix, Arizona, in hopes that we would have ministry and housing. By the time we reached Phoenix, about four hours later, we were staying in a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath, million-and-a-half, two-million-dollar house. And it was in a very upscale Scottsdale, Arizona neighborhood. And it didn't cost us very much to stay there. God is sovereign. We ministered in a way in the greater Phoenix area that allowed our team to work together and we got to get to know each other and enjoy each other and work with each other in a way that we had never planned. Flexible is a term always used when planning and deploying a short-term team. Over the years I have been involved in, it's either planning or being on nearly 50 short-term mission trips. And this was the most unique trip I've been involved in. God worked in so many tiny details that we all left this trip having a better understanding that there are, there are no coincidence in life, but that God is sovereign and takes care of his people. Hi there, my name is Kate Giles, and um, there are many stories I could tell you because a lot went down on the Panama, Mexico, Phoenix trip, but I've decided to share three main things with you that the Lord showed me. First was one of Pastor Moan's upbeat songs at the Dream Center. It stuck with us and became the motto of our trip. It went like this, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. One of the first things that the Lord revealed about himself in Genesis can often be forgotten, but it was made prevalent on this trip. God is good all the time. Second, when we were in Mexico, we attended two chapels or services every day. There would be upbeat music followed by um, a lesson, followed by practical application. What was awesome to see was the people praising God about who he is and what he had done for them. Then, after the Lord relocated us to Phoenix, we were able to attend a men's Bible study where um, the worship was equally filled with praise. What stuck out to me was that despite the stark differences in living conditions and opportunities, both groups had the same appreciation and need for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Both understood that everything they had was given by God and that he was worthy of praise. The third thing that was awesome to see was God's providence. The best example of this was a man named Randy. We had been in Mexico for about three days when Trey, our guide, just happened to bring Randy and his friend Scott to the Dream Center. He just happened to be leaving the same day we had to, too. Then he just happened to have some things he could use some help on in Phoenix. And on top of that, Scott's parents had a rental house that just happened to be available for the exact amount of days we needed. 
A lot of things went what we would consider to be wrong, but God's timing proved to be better than ours yet again, because God is good all the time. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm going to invite the team to to leave, but again, you're welcome. You're welcome to join me uh, if you have anything else you want to say. Um, man, I, I, I hope you enjoyed those testimonies. Uh, and in fact, if you know any of those uh, the adults or the students that went on those trips, I want to encourage you to pull them aside, ask them about their, their, their experience. And each one of them, um, it's just a joy to see how God worked in and through those individuals. So... Uh, if you're wondering, just uh, right out the gate here, I should tell you, uh, I'm not, um, this, this will be a little bit shorter of a message, right? That if you're thinking, he's just now starting, it's uh, like you got the crock pots going and you're one, you know, it, or lunch appointment. Um, to encourage you, I only went five minutes over in the first service and that, there's 30 minutes between services. But since the next service isn't until four, I'll probably, um, we'll see how that, that, that correlates. But um, no, we'll get you out of here. Um, now, I'm sure many of you, or most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, the idea, of course, is that, that sometimes, and oftentimes, an image can more clearly portray an idea than words alone. Similarly, when, when an image is placed alongside words, or when words create an image in our mind, the concept can be more memorable. This is why we wanted to have the video silently playing in the background with the team members uh, while the team members gave their report. Hopefully it wasn't a distraction, but rather an enhancement to the testimonies. Hopefully it, it gave you a, a, a better idea uh, of where we were, what, what we did, and the, and the joy. The joy the team had, not only, I mean, we, had, we did a lot of fun things as well, uh, but the joy was there while we were shoveling... Uh, um, stuff uh, at, at the... Uh, at the stables and while we were, uh, had a chance to go to a baseball game. They're, they're, the joy was consistent through the good times and the hard times. And I believe that it's because, of pictures, uh, because pictures are worth a thousand words uh, that the Apostle Paul gives us images uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And those images depict the faithful Christian life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, Paul gives us three pictures, three uh, examples, metaphors, illustrations, to help us understand how we can live a faithful Christian life today. In this passage, we're going we're to see Paul challenge Timothy to reflect on specific qualities seen in these three different lines of work. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Timothy would have seen uh, people from these lines of work on a, probably on a regular basis. He probably knew people that worked in these three fields. Remembering these images would likely have been easy for Timothy. Um, and I hope they stick in our minds as well. Now, these three jobs contain some similarities. All three of these occupations required discipline, if one were to be successful, at least, in these fields. All three careers involved intense physical activity, and all three um, required a significant amount of time. However, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul calls attention to characteristics that, that set each of these apart. Um, from the other two. He seems to emphasize their differences rather than their similarities. So go ahead, if you haven't already, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, 
and uh, so we can read this passage together. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible this morning. And so hopefully uh, you can follow along. Paul writes, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Well, let's, um, let's pray that the Lord would give us understanding um, in this passage and uh, allow us to understand it and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the testimonies of what, of what we know that you did, what we saw that you did, Lord, but we know that you are always working in ways that we can't see. And so I thank you for how you worked in St. Louis, not just in what we heard, but, but what you're doing in the hearts of, of the other students, Lord, the, those who um, we minister to in the soccer camp and at the churches, Lord. I thank you that, that you, that we got to see part of that, but Lord, we thank you that you're working beyond what we can see. I thank you for what you did in the lives, in and through the lives of our students that went to, to Mexico and then Phoenix, Lord. I thank you for how you uh, gave them just a spirit of flexibility, a willingness to serve, that they were ready for every good work. And Lord, I pray um, again for all the, all the ways you were working that we didn't see. We thank you, God, that you are working far more and above and beyond what we could possibly imagine. And we pray this morning for the same thing, Lord. We pray for right here at Calvary Bible Church, in uh, those sitting here in the pews, those listening online, that you would work in and through us. I pray you'd work in and through me, Lord, that I would be able to clearly and accurately preach your word, with the power of your Holy Spirit to your people for your glory. It's in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we dive into these verses, we're going to see uh, each of these individuals. Um, I'm going to try to point out a, a goal that I think each of these had or have and, and a warning as well as a corresponding challenge that will hopefully help us apply this passage to our life. Uh, first, Paul gives us the image of the soldier. The soldier. Although militaries look different from country to country and what it means to be a soldier has certainly evolved over the years, this is still an image that we can understand. We can grasp this. Soldiers are soldiers 24 hours a day. A soldier belongs to the military for the duration of his or her service. A soldier must follow orders so that he may please the one who enlisted him. Pleasing the one who enlisted him or pleasing his commanding officer is the goal of the soldier. Our goal is faithful, as faithful Christians is to please our our commanding officer, our Savior. Jesus made this clear in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the context here in Matthew is specifically addressing money and finances, but the principle carries over to all areas of life. We can only serve one master, and for the faithful Christian, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our goal is to, the, to please our commander, but there's, there's a warning in here as well and some instruction that we need to heed. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. It's pretty clear. We, we are to beware of distractions, beware of the things that, that steal our focus on the mission of God. 
Now notice Paul does not say beware of sin, although elsewhere in Scripture Paul specifically makes that point very clear that we are to beware of sin, to be cautious of it. Sin will destroy our our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and it can cripple our effectiveness in life and in ministry. But Paul mentions here civilian affairs, things that are not inherently wrong, just not what the soldier should be focused on. The word entangle in this passage literally means to weave, to weave together. So Paul is cautioning Timothy not to weave into his life things that are, that are not a part of the mission of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That there are plenty of things in this life that are not sin, that are not bad, but they, they can distract us from our purpose on this earth. Those distractions that are not explicitly sinful are probably different for all of us. In many cases, they may be good things that become bad things when they keep us from our God-given purpose. But what is our purpose? What, what is our mission as Christians? Well, there's a lot that could be said here and a lot will be said in the coming weeks uh, as Pastor, Pastor Brett will be sharing on, on the church and, and our, uh, our vision statement, our mission, mission statement. So I just want to share our mission statement with you as I think it, it sums up the mission of God for us as Christians. Our purpose is to multiply disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. Our purpose is to multiply disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. So there's going, gathering, and growing. And if we're going to, to live on purpose, we need to stay focused, right? So the challenge then is, is to stay focused on the mission of God. The challenge that we're given from the image of the soldier is to stay focused on the mission of God. And this level of discipline and focus reminds me of our country's most elite soldiers, the Navy SEALs. The Navy, Sea, Air, and Lands team, more commonly known as the Navy SEALs, are the U.S. Navy's primary special operations force and are trained to operate in all environments for which they are named. Uh, they're described as being forged by adversity. They stand alongside America's finest special operations forces to serve our country, the American people, and protect our way of life. The SEALs have what they call the, the SEALs ethos that, they, that describes the, the culture of the SEALs and what it means to be a Navy SEAL. I want to read part of that description to you as I think it connects, it relates to our mission as soldiers of Christ. I will never quit. I persevere and thrive on adversity. My nation expects me to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I will draw on every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates and accomplish and to accomplish our mission. I am never out of the fight. A Navy SEAL believes they are never out of the fight. They serve with the mindset that they are never, they're never out of the fight. They maintain focus in order to accomplish their mission. The, 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 the ethos continues stating, we train for war and fight to win. I stand ready to bring the full spectrum of combat power to bear in order to achieve my mission and the goals established by my country. They must stay focused to achieve their mission, the mission given by their commanding officer. Do you have that kind of focus? If you're a Christian, as, as a soldier of Christ Jesus, do, do you live to please him? We need to ask ourselves this morning, am I living as a good soldier focused on the mission Christ has given me, or am I distracted? 
Am I distracted? Do I, do I live as though I'm never out of the fight? Or have I perhaps weaved in so many hobbies, interests, and activities that are not evil, but they distract me from my mission? Am I focused on the mission of God? Paul says, like a good soldier, beware of distractions. Stay focused on the mission of God. But secondly, Paul gives us the image of an athlete. It's in verse 5 that he states, And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. Before Paul gives the warning, he mentions the goal. The goal of the athlete is the prize of the crown. The soldier pleases. The soldier, his goal is to please his commanding officer. And the athlete's goal is the prize of the crown. Now we need to take a step back though. It's easy um, here to, to maybe... Uh, to get a misunderstanding of this passage, we're, it's critical to note that we're, we're not competing against each other. This is not a competition against each other. It's not a race against each other. Our competition, our fight, our battles against our fleshly old self, against the world, and against Satan. It's with this understanding that we are to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But you still might be wondering, though, what, what exactly is the prize for, for Christians? If our goal, like the athlete, is the prize of the crown, if that's what we're, we're aiming for, what, what does that mean? Well, I believe for, for Paul, the reward of competing according to the rules in this life is Christ-likeness in this life. The goal and the prize was to become more like Jesus, but I also believe he's referring to the crown of righteousness, in the life to come. You see, just a few chapters later, if you, you know, probably flip over one page in your Bible, maybe two pages, you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul um, talks about the end of his life. He talks about getting to the end of his life, and he, and he says this in verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To use some theological terms here, Paul's sanctification is motivated, at least in part, by his future glorification. He's motivated to live for Christ today, knowing that there is a time where he will be with Christ forever. He was motivated to sin less today on earth because, by God's grace, one day he would be sinless in heaven. Like Paul, we are to run this race of life with the end in mind. We need to, to run with the end in mind, with the finish line in mind. I've never met a Christian who didn't want to finish well, who didn't want to end life well, didn't want to get better and hopefully have a, leave a legacy, have a positive memory in, those, uh, in the minds of those he loved and loved him or her. But to do that, to end well, we must compete according to the rules. Again, there are many similarities that one can draw between a soldier and an athlete, but here Paul focuses on something really that's unique to the athlete. The athlete has to play fair, and Paul's warning here is to beware of disqualification. Beware of disqualification. With the Olympics underway, there's been a, a lot in the news lately regarding uh, athletes being disqualified. The United States will, is without one of its fastest athletes in the summer, this summer's Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Shakari Richardson on June 20th ran a, a 10.86 in the, the women's 100-meter dash, which was the fastest among U.S. qualifiers. It seemingly guaranteed her a roster spot for the Olympic team, but on July 1st, again, just a month ago, a month from today, Richardson posted a cryptic tweet that read, I am human. 
The following day, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, which operates under the World Anti-Doping Agency and its legislation, announced that she tested positive for marijuana. And though it's legal in many states, it's classified as a substance of abuse by the World Anti-Doping Agency. And so she was not able to run. The decision has certainly created a lot of discussion, but at the end of the day, rules are rules. Rules matter. Rules matter in sports, and they matter in life. Earlier in June, with his team down by two with six seconds remaining in a critical win-or-go-home Game 7 basketball star, Kevin Durant squared up 23 feet from the hoop and launched a beautiful fadeaway shot that found the bottom of the net. Replays show that just a little bit of his size 18 Nikes were on that three-point line. According to the rules, that meant Durant's shot only counted for two points and only tied the game rather than allowing them to take the lead. Durant's nets would go on to lose the game and the series in overtime. Had Durant's foot been two inches further back, Brooklyn might well have been in the Eastern Conference Finals, but whether we like it or not, rules are rules. Rules matter in sports, and they matter in life, and sometimes rules are the difference between winning and losing. Sometimes they're the difference between competing and disqualification. And rules matter not not only today, not only, I mean, we can just pull out examples in the last month or two, but they mattered in Paul's day too. In the Greek games, which were still played in Paul's time, every participant had to meet three qualifications. They had to meet the qualification of birth, of training, and of competition. First, an athlete had to be a true-born Greek. That's the, the qualification of birth. Second, the, the athlete had to prepare at least 10 months for the games and swear to that before a statue of Zeus. That's the, the qualification of training. Third, he had to compete with the specific rules for a given event. And that's the, the qualification of, of that competition. And so to fail in any of, of those three would mean immediate, immediate disqualification. Pastor John MacArthur compares these rules uh, that athletes um, had in, in the, Greek, um, the Greek athletes had during Paul's time with faithful Christians today. We must be truly born again. We must be faithful in study and obedience of God's word in, in self-denial and in prayer. And we must live according to Christ's divine standards of discipleship. Rules matter. Now we all need to praise God though. I, I, I want to be clear here. Uh, we need to praise God that we cannot lose our Salvation. When we're talking about disqualification uh, and being beware of disqualification, I'm not talking about losing our salvation. The Bible speaks to that, I believe, very clearly. Uh, that, that if you are a born-again believer, uh, you're always a born-again believer. I'm not talking about that. However, the news is regularly filled with Christian leaders who li- whose lives and ministries have been destroyed. Lives and ministries have been destroyed because they failed to play according to the rules. And this isn't just for Christian leaders, though. They're just the ones that make the news. Uh, unfortunately, many of us probably are no friends or family or those who were walking with the Lord and based on poor decisions, bad decisions, failure to live in obedience to the word of God, their ministry effectiveness is gone. Their ability and opportunities to, ministry, to do ministry are gone. And so Paul's challenge, Paul challenges us here to play fair He is calling us to compete according to the rules. He's calling us to live in obedience to the word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 25, he writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? 
run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way. We are, we are to run with the aim of winning. We're to run with a goal to, to receive the prize of the crown, Christ's likeness in this life, the crown of righteousness in the next. But we need to run according to the rules. We need to live according to the word of God. We need to do so in all areas of life, not just the, the ones we uh, choose or, or the ones we care about or the ones we, uh, just, we can't neglect the ones we don't like. We don't have that opportunity. We don't have that luxury. So as we fight to, to please our commander and compete for the prize of the crown, we, we need to stay focused and we need to play fair. We need to, to live according to the word of God and we need to stick to the mission of God. Are you running to win? Are you running to receive the prize of Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness today and the crown of righteousness in heaven? Does eternity with your Savior motivate you to live for Christ now? If so, are you running according to the rules with the help of the Holy Spirit? With the help of the Holy Spirit, are you striving to live in obedience to the word of God? Well, that brings us to the final image, the third image, the farmer. And Paul writes, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Again, each of these occupations share several things in common. And however, like I mentioned before, they're different in many ways as well. The soldier often has the excitement of battle. Uh, the athlete has the, the thrill of competition. Unfortunately, this is, this is not true of the farmer. The farmer, uh, he works diligently, doing tedious and often unexciting tasks. Unlike the others, the, the farmer often works alone. There are no band of brothers fighting by his side. There are no teammates cheering him on from the sidelines. But the farmer, the hardworking farmer, still strives towards a goal still faithfully strives towards the goal. The hardworking farmer labors for the provision of crops. Hard work is indeed indispensable to, to, good, to good farming, and, and that would be particularly so in, in a time period, in a culture uh, that, is, that predates heavy advanced machinery. Successful farming depended as much on sweat as it did skill. However poor the soil, however inclement the weather, or experienced or inexperienced, the farmer, he, he had to work hard. He had to keep at his work. He could not afford to be lazy. Yet the first share of the crops goes to the hardworking farmer. He deserves it. That is why a sluggard never makes a good farmer. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you've probably heard the sluggard uh, talked about quite a bit, the, the lazy person. The sluggard always loses his harvest, either because he is asleep when he ought to be reaping or because he was too lazy to plow the previous autumn or because he has allowed his fields to become overgrown with, with nettles and thorns. But we might wonder, well, what kind of harvest is Paul referring to? If we're to be hardworking like this farmer, what, what is the harvest? Well, there are two possibilities here. It's possible that Paul has both in mind, um, in, or one or the other, but uh, first, uh, the first one I want to point out to you is, is, is holiness. Holiness, personal holiness, is a harvest. As 18th century theologian J.C. Ryle emphasizes again and again in his great book entitled Holiness, there are no gains, there are no spiritual gains without pains. Listen to what he has to say on this subject, and this was written quite some time ago, so it reads a little, a little funny for today. 
He said this, I will never shrink from declaring my belief that there are no spiritual gains without pains. I should as soon expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing his fields and never looking at them till harvest as expect a believer to attain much holiness who was not diligent about his Bible reading, his prayers, and the use of his Sundays. Our God is a God who works by means, and he will never bless the soul of that man who pretends to be so high and spiritual that he can go, that he can get on without them. So perhaps Paul here, he's referring to a harvest of personal holiness. On the other hand, Paul could be referring to the the winning of converts. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful, referring to the, the many who are waiting to hear and receive the gospel. Now in this harvest, it is of course God who gives the growth. But again, we do not have the freedom. We do not have the freedom to be lazy. In fact, whatever view one takes regarding the meaning of crops, whether it's one, the other, or both, in this illustration, uh, Paul's warning is the same. The, The challenge here is the same. Paul's warning us by talking about the hardworking farmer to beware of the difficulty of living a faithful Christian life. The challenge is simple and yet anything but, but easy. In fact, the challenge here is to work hard, to work hard and bear fruit for the glory of God. Whether that's personal holiness or whether that's a harvest of souls, we need to work hard and bear fruit for the glory of God. As a soldier, we are to stay focused on the mission of God. We need to, to have a laser focus on the mission that God has given us. And as an athlete, we are to play fair. We need to live according to the word of God. And as a farmer, we work hard. And Lord willing, we will bear fruit for the glory of God. Now Paul says we will receive the first share of the crops. And it would appear as though Paul is saying there is something in this for us. There's something in it for the farmer. It would appear as if we work hard, we're going to get something good from our efforts. And I can assure you, we most certainly will. We will have the joy of growing in personal holiness. We'll have the joy of growing closer to the Lord. Lord willing, we'll have the joy of seeing friends and family and and strangers come to know Jesus because of the gospel seeds we planted in their lives. If by faith we diligently serve God, we will bear fruit. And Lord willing, we will bear fruit for the glory of God. And so I pray at Calvary Bible Church, the, the members, attenders, those, those watching, I pray for each of us. If, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, my prayer here, my hope is that you would stay focused on the mission of God. That we would live according to the word of God. That we would work hard and bear fruit for the glory of God. God created us for this. He created us. And he called us to bear much fruit. And God receives great glory when we do. And so are you seeing the fruit of Christ's likeness in your life? Are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Like a farmer, are you planting gospel seeds and praying for a harvest of souls? I hope so. But if not, you can start today. Lord willing, we all might finish well. Lord willing, all of us will be like the Apostle Paul who at the end of his life wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Like a good soldier striving to please his commanding officer, Paul fought the good fight. Like a good athlete who who played according to the rules and lived in obedience to the word of God, Paul finished his race. And like a farmer who diligently worked and planted seeds, believing the harvest would eventually come, Paul kept the faith. And so as a result, I think we're given a picture in Scripture, not only the three pictures in chapter 2, but I think we're given a a complete picture here in chapter 4 
of the faithful Christian life. The good soldier, the athlete, and the farmer all rolled up into one, and his name is Paul. Paul was not a perfect Christian, but he was certainly faithful. We would all do well to read his letters, to trace his journey in the book of Acts, like, like Chase talked about earlier. We, we, would, we, should, we should ask the Lord to help us. Help us have that type of focus. Help us to obey in all areas of the word of God. Give us the, the, the diligence to work hard, and Lord willing, may we bear fruit. So I'm going to ask the men to come as we prepare to take communion. Uh, and uh, we're going to do a, a, a few things um, as, they're, as they're coming. I, I'm going to want to encourage you. Part of what Paul's talking about, specifically as an athlete, is running the race and looking with the end in mind, looking forward. But before we look forward, I want to encourage you to take a moment and look back. I want to encourage you to look back. It's in the Lord's Supper uh, that we're about to, to participate in. That, that is for believers. It's for Christ followers, and it's, it's commanded, it's ordained by God. It's one of our two ordinances of the church. And part of the purpose of it is for us to look back, to look back to the cross, to look back to the sacrifice Christ paid for us. And in a moment, in a moment you're going to have time to reflect, time to think through, and not just reflect on your life, but reflect on the life of Christ, the life he gave for us. And so I want to encourage you to take that time when when, especially if you're in the, the, the front rows and you're, you're holding your uh, bread a little bit longer maybe than others. And even as you're waiting for it to come, do you want to encourage you to look back and think about the, the price that Christ paid? But I also want to encourage you to look forward like the athlete. Look to the end. Look to the day when, when Jesus makes all things new. Look forward. And finally, I want to invite you to look within. We're invited to look within. Uh, Paul tells us not to, to take uh, communion in an unworthy manner. We, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look honestly at our hearts and make sure we're not just going through the motions. We're not just doing this because it's part of the service and you're here and uh, you don't want to stand out not doing it. We, we need to make sure we, we participate in a, a worthy manner that we're, we're reflecting on our life and we're, we're coming clean with God, that we are confessing, repenting our sin before the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that. Orion is going to begin playing and the men are going to begin uh, get up and, and pass the, the elements. But before they do that, I want to pray for the bread. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that as we talk about working hard, that that comes after salvation, that there's nothing we could do or did do to earn our salvation. Christ did it all for us. By God's grace, through faith, we're, we have a relationship with Jesus. But thank you that he worked hard to obtain our salvation. Lord, I pray uh, that we would contemplate that, that we would want to respond accordingly. That this chapter 2, Timothy chapter 2, is a response for those who have freely received salvation. And I pray that we would reflect on that. We would look back and reflect on that. Lord, we thank you for the bread and for what it reminds us of. Lord, I pray that, again, we would meditate on that, we'd think on that, and we wouldn't only think of, on that during times of communion, Lord. I pray that you would bring it to our minds daily, that we would not forget the price Christ paid for our salvation. We thank you for the bread, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.